Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is supported by SafeBand. SafeBand is the indigo silicon wristband that lets people know that you, or a member of your family, has been vaccinated to protect them from COVID-19. And with every SafeBand that's ordered by you, or people like you, we donate one to a frontline key worker or vulnerable member of the community. Slowly, life will return to how it once was. Until then, we're determined to get things back to normal for those who've taken the first step. Find out more by clicking the link in the description or visiting safeband.me. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hi. Hi, Paul. Hi. And Dave Watson. Hello. Oh, very good. We've done the full range of um, things there. <laughs> So, um, the full range right. of things. Yeah. How are you, Dave? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm still on fucking gardening leave, and I'm losing my tiny mind. But like, it's getting to the point now where the people at the tip recognise me. Like, that's that's not okay, is it? That's the dream. That's what you want. Hang on, that's what you've done with. Um, for anyone who's missed the last podcast, Dave is going through an interesting period in his life at the moment, which basically resembles almost the entirety of my adult life, where he has <laughs> absolutely nothing to do. And um, because he's um, on uh, what is known as gardening leave, I believe this is something that people with real jobs are familiar with. <laughs> um, yeah. He's in between jobs, but still employed. Right? Yeah. I'm, basically, I mean, I've, I've, yeah, I've power washed the backyard, I've swept the front one, I've... Um, I've hung shelves, I've painted bedrooms, I've built things, I've destroyed things. See, I've taken a lot of shit to the trip. What you've just described is more than I have done in my entire <laughs> adult life. <laughs> <laughs> like the people at the tip recognise you. That's what you've decided to do with your gardening leaf. Go back and forth to the tip. I don't think I've ever been to a tip in my life. Hang on a second. You're in a long-term relationship. Do you honestly think that this was my decision? Or do you think um, it was somebody else's decision oh, and right. I just went along with it? I go for the tip out of choice. Tip to your the girlfriend. Trip. Okay. See, I don't have a car, but your girlfriend's really into the tip, is she? Or is she into a guy at the tip? My, my, my wife is into me taking shit to the tip. But what like, she doesn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> She is the tip. That's the trouble. That's what oh you call Oh, my it. gosh. <laughs> Hang on. 
What is the deal with the tip? Why were you taking to the tip? Can you not just stick it in the bin? Yeah, I mean, I mean, how many? No, like huge cardboard boxes, old TVs, huge. Yeah, but well, I can only fit so much into the the recycling bin. What are you gonna do? Like, we're talking about a... Dave's bins again. Yeah. What are you gonna do with a pallet, Fergus? You can't put that in a wheelie bin. Yeah. What am I gonna do with a tree, Fergus? What am I gonna do with a tree? Look, a lot of this stuff. Right, I'm interested by the tree, but a lot of this stuff sounds completely legitimate, but. To um, back up your regular visits to the tip, the first thing you could think of was a large cardboard box that doesn't fit in the recycling. If you're driving there, then you're cancelling out whatever you're doing for the environment by recycling. It wasn't just, uh, I didn't just take one cardboard box. I mean, Jesus, we are... We are going to some lengths to avoid talking about Brighton. I didn't just take one cardboard box. There was a load of cardboard boxes, large okay. ones. So something anyway. else, okay, speaking of tips, something else which was a giant mountain of shit <laughs> <laughs> was our performance against Brighton. Paul, is this, how do, how do we describe this? Is this your low point as a Newcastle fan? Was that the worst performance you've ever seen as Tab or was that the, Definitely for me the worst performance this season, possibly ever. I don't know if it's emotionally the lowest point because it's not a massive drop. If you compare like some of the Sooness games coming quite soon after Bobby Robson, I think they were the ones that emotionally hurt the most because you thought, oh, we've we've fucked this right up. Whereas here, this was just we expected a bad performance and we got a terrible performance. But yeah, one of the worst Newcastle games of one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. Mm. I can't imagine any neutrals got to ninety minutes in that game. Well, at I least didn't. from a neutrals, I can't imagine either. But from a neutrals perspective, at least there were some quite good goals in it. Yeah, yeah, but they were those three goals were interspersed with a lot of shit. You know, it wasn't like if Brighton had been all over us all throughout the game and were playing some really nice stuff, then, yeah, you might want to watch it. But honestly, it was... I, I'd echo what Paul says. I don't know if emotionally it was the worst, but certainly the worst performance of this season. Arguably the worst performance under Bruce. Yeah. Um, and therefore, probably the worst performance in the last five years. I think... I don't know. There's quite a few candidates for worst performance. I don't know. But it certainly felt like a low point for me, just an accumulation of the season hmm. where we are. Although in terms of standard, I know this is not really the debate to have, but in terms of standard of game, maybe the West Brom game was worse from my memory because basically there was two teams playing awful football. Hmm. Brighton, it wasn't them at their be- the best I've seen them this season, but... The Sheffield United game... Attractive. The Sheffield United game was awful. The Brighton... Brighton team play some quite attractive football, and I thought we made them look like Guardiola's Barcelona at times. Yeah, were in it about, but they did score some nice goals. But um, we're here to talk about Newcastle. Go ahead, Paul. No, I was saying the Sheffield United game felt possibly equally disappointing in terms of our approach. The both games where you think we need to go for a win here. 
and we mm. it wasn't even that we did so little with the ball which i mean we did nothing with the ball but just no closing down you think of the pressing game that seemed to have come in recently when graham jones came in that's that vanished and all the goals we're just sitting off them it looks like a training game the players look like cones the sheffield united game was the as i've said many times was the turning point for me because that was the first one where it was so obviously a game that we had to be aiming for three points with yeah because they were at that stage on course to potentially be the worst team in premier league history in terms of point to points total Mm. And, and then we set up not to win that game. But since then, we've set up trying not to lose to West Brom and then we've set up trying not to lose to Brighton. And it's like, if we're not going to try and win those games, then yeah. what is One the thing, strategy? What, are, we, what, are we waiting for like, is our strategy to wait for like points deductions for clubs going into administration? I genuinely think the strategy is suddenly Carlisle United turn up in the Premier League. What is I think gone? I think the strategy is to hope we get lucky enough to not be in the bottom three by the time Almiron, St. Maximin, and Wilson are back. I think that's all the thought that's going into these current games. But as and Steve Bruce quite correctly pointed out in the po- his post-match interview on Saturday, even when they do come back, those players, as Almiron proved on Saturday night, uh, are going to take a while to get back to full fitness and are not going to be at their best. Sorry, Jason. Go ahead. Well, so all I was going to say is that, um, speaking to, to the, that point you're making about like setting up not to lose rather than going for the win, I honestly think it was the again. Bruce has been looking at the the Fulham results, saw that they lost at Leeds, and thought, right, well, as long as we don't lose, let let's set up not to lose, and then mm. any point will be enough against Brighton. Instead of thinking, right, let's let's go for the win. I also think that um, bringing Almiron, like starting Almiron against Brighton, when he's just coming back to fitness, when he's got like a, a break coming, was just don't do that. Like, why not stick with roughly what you you, you started um, against uh, Villa or against West Brom, and then bring them on for the final half hour just to inject a bit of energy and a bit bit of pace and stuff. So, but to be fair, we hated I mean, those selections as well, right? I see what you're saying. I mean, we hated the selections like because it was like, right? yeah, because he he was playing. I mean, he, again, it was um, no strikers on the pitch at all. In fact, we didn't bring on a striker at any point. Andy Carroll. Yeah. Didn't bring one on. Um, Play with like, like Murphy out to the left, Gale in the middle, Joe Linton off to the right. Or even if you don't want to play Gale, then Joe Linton in the middle, Fraser and Murphy on either flank. Fine. Do that. But don't have like Almiron getting, like not getting onto crosses from Fraser because Almiron's not that kind of player. And Joe Linton on the right, where, at the very least, Joe Linton's tall, so Mike, like, it was just... Well, we had we had said that, um, to a degree, Almiron playing in that position with this fucking split striker thing, whatever it is, hmm. um, when Graham Jones first showed up a couple of months ago, was working to a degree, right? That, that Almiron in that position could sort of work. Yeah, but, but I think the key is, as well... The key with that is we weren't 
playing a midfield three. I don't think Shelby was in the middle at the back for those games. I think we we used Willock a lot more sensibly. We actually had midfielders running, so we had a genuine counter-attack threat. We could get from one end of the pitch to the other, retaining the ball. Whereas now it's just Shelby in between our centre-backs, pinging a 70-yard ball to Ryan Fraser or Miggy Almiron, who are both... Yeah. Well, you would have thought it's, it's not just it's it's we can talk about how we're set up or whatever the tactics are supposed to be uh, endlessly, mm. but and, and it's clear that well, I just wanted, was it, but the rest of the side on that pitch, mm. however we were set up, I can't imagine that they were doing exactly what they've been told to do. There's just no, uh, there's no energy there at all. No, like drive no will like you know with it Joe looked Willick. like a team Joe, Joe Willick showed up as like an exciting young midfielder with something to prove and in about a month he's like seamlessly blended in to our series of like nothing builders right I, mean, I think we looked like a team that was trying to get the manager sacked and if we were any other club that performance would have easily done it Except the manager wouldn't have still been. That's something that I find hard to believe happens, but I'm happy to accept that. I I think subconsciously, I don't think they go out deliberately to do it, but you can tell. Yeah. Like apparently they've been training all week on pressing Brighton. You look at every time Brighton got the ball at the back, Almiron was on his own. You can't do a one man press. They're clearly not doing what they're meant to do. Well, Clark literally, you know, he's quoted as saying that the players, we weren't up for it. Like mm. that, that will obviously have come after the game. He's looked back and said, "Oh, we just, we just weren't up for it." Well, why the fuck weren't you up for it? Like, it's, it's a must-win game. If, if you as a squad can't get yourself g'd up for it, and the manager's not doing it, then the fuck's going on? I honestly like. I, I wouldn't be surprised if not that they that performance was a deliberate attempt to get him sacked. But it was just a case of, I'm not listening to this this guy anymore. I'm, uh, I'll just go out and I'll do my job. But I'm not, you know. I think as well in your own, in in your own life, right? It's possible to be get yourself into a funk, to be depressed, to be and low energy because of that in certain situations where you just can't get yourself up for whatever because you're like depressed or low on confidence or whatever and I guess it's possible for a whole for that sort of like attitude to infect a whole organisation right and especially if you don't have any leaders there or people with real but but we we have got leaders in the squad you know like Lascelles Kieran Clark these are all these are like Players who like Paul Paul Dummett, Matt Ritchie. These are all players who will literally have a fight on the training ground if you're not putting the effort in. The trouble is, I don't think that those leaders have any faith in the in the manager or the club as a whole. And you look at the performances that we the performance that we put in against Brighton, and it just looked like a team just going through the motions getting soundly beaten by Brighton and Brighton deserve a lot of credit because of the way they set up and everything. But honestly, but the players I used to dis- be, I, I, I don't disagree. Fe- so yeah, the players on. that you've just mentioned there, the leaders, you know, 
to a degree, yeah. I don't like mm. Lascelles, Clark, Richie, who's not playing. They're, so mm. they're defenders, right? So once you get past, I mean, it's hard to like drive a game with energy from the back. And once you get past that, um, it's basically shelvy on them. But then you look at like players that I, aren't I get, getting in, like Matty Longstaff or, or Sean Longstaff. But I think as well, it's not so much the energy they have. I think it's that thing. If you're playing in that team and you know this system isn't working and we need to win games and the manager still won't pick a striker, you must see that selection and just think, we're going to get beaten here. Mm. We've yeah. all, I'm sure we've all had jobs where you're working there and you know it is not worth putting 100% effort into because the end product is going to be shit because of what the job is or who your boss is. Mm. Definitely. I mean, oh, I, 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 think we're all, I think we're all agreed that Steve Bruce is... Like, he, he's not the cause of it because the root cause is obviously Ashley and Charnley and, you know, any... any competent owner or um, MT wouldn't have appointed Steve Bruce. But right now, Steve Bruce is the is the, the treatable injury that's affecting this club. And it baffles me that they haven't learned from their previous mistake with McLaren and fired him because mm. they could have fired him after the Brighton game, brought in a new manager who had a bit of time during the international break to work with the players, get them G'd up, get them positive, get renew that sense of confidence, and then start the start the um after the the international break with a good number of games to make sure that you then stay up. But they just haven't the, learned, and it's the insane. I, I mean, talking about like repaying Bruce's loyalty, what fucking loyalty? It's not like some other clubs come along and said, "Oh, Bruce, do you want a job here?" Like, how's the only way that Bruce has been loyal is by not actively criticising Ashley in the press. Well, that's not loyalty. It's just, it's self-service. I just... The reason I saw for Bruce why says he's, he's a not been... Fucking the reason I saw for mm. why he's not been sacked as well as Ashley doesn't think the club can afford to get rid of him because we're going to lose 40 or 50 million through the lack of fans in the stadium. But you just think you're going to lose at least 100 million more if we go down. It's, mm. There's such short-term thinking and this sort of arrogant attitude of we can't get relegated, even though it's happened twice in pretty recent memory. And the thing that gets me is that, yes, no, not, not only would you lose £100 million by being relegated out of the Premier League, and you've lost £30, £40 million by people not going through the gates this season. Next season... I know maybe we might disagree on this, but I don't think there's going to be 48,000 people turning up to St. James's Park to watch Steve Bruce's Newcastle United bumble about mid-table in the in the championship. I think, honestly, I think that this pandemic has got casual fans who used to go every week. They're not going to be that bothered about going anymore. And some of the diehards are going to have said, this isn't my fucking club anymore. I'm done. Until they go, I'm done. I think I think I think we're in real trouble of like losing a lot of um, like the the match going fans. I really I think bear do. in this mind pre pre pandemic we had to give away ten thousand season tickets to get exactly. anything close to full capacity anyway. 
I think you it's, could you could be right on that. My, you know, we'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see how many, you know, whether in the um, autumn next year, whether fifty two thousand they've already been allowed in. We'll see yeah. about that. I don't know. That's might, there might be. Who knows what's going to happen there? But um, if they are, I might be completely wrong on this. I, if we go down to the championship, which we all agree is a you know more than likely, certainly you know whatever. And um, if we go down to the championship, yes, I'd be surprised if we're selling out. But I would have thought at first there's just there's everyone's miserable about the club, but surely within you as humans, I know there is for me, there's a desperate desire for a day out of the football. <laughs> but Perfect. if I'm they're provided with the first couple of times they go, if they're provided with the same as what they've been provided with this last year, then then maybe they won't keep coming back. You know? I think if it was under Bruce, I'm not sure they would. Like All it would take would be putting in someone like Eddie Howe or even Chris Wilder. And I think a well, lot the chat of, is that we're yeah. preparing an approach for Chris Wilder mm. right right now. I mean that that's insane. Charlie that and, and Ashley are like walking through the um, the bushes in Sheffield with a big net. <laughs> it's 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 insane to think that it's getting to this. It's gotten to this stage where we're starting to make a plan to make an approach for Chris Wilder. Like they should like a, a properly run football club should have in their mind three or four candidates that if if candidate A doesn't work out, you've then got three remaining that you can go, well, we'll approach one of one of those that are already on our list because they fit the way that we want to play. It's just this well, club be, is just being so right, badly but, you know, There's no reason why that they might have all that. We just don't know it. But I mean, history think, tells us they probably don't. But. Then then why aren't they moving? That's that's the thing that gets me. It's like the only way this club is is like the the trajectory right now is is a nosedive. So why are they at this point going? Well, we're thinking about making plans to approach the manager of the team who are rock bottom, who've just been fired. Do you like, think this is why Sam Allardyce gets so many like salvage jobs just alphabetically? It's like getting candidate A in. <laughs> Maybe Bruce yeah, Chris is Chris Wilder does not have. Chris Wilder does yeah. not have a good chance under that. Uh, Kirbishly, yeah. Plan C. Yeah. The thing to look out for in terms of whether Bruce is going to resign is when is the next England cricket tour? <laughs> <laughs> the problem with Wilder, though, I was reading, because Celtic apparently were approaching him for their job, but there's a stumbling block with if he goes to another job soon, then he doesn't get his full Sheffield United payoff. I think it's like in the next six months, which he'd, he'd maybe be willing to do for the Newcastle job. But that was apparently Celtic wanted him and then have been knocked back for that reason. It, and Celtic it is would, probably a bigger deal than us at the moment. Definitely. It would be absolutely typical of Mike Ashley's Newcastle to fail to fire Steve, well, to fire Steve Bruce and that cost them a big payout. Then pay out another big sum to bring in Chris Wilder, who for all, you know, best will in the world, he the team that he's managed for the majority of the season are rock bottom and were largely terrible. For us to pay like two massive fees to 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 swap those managers around when we could have paid fucking nothing to to, to get like 
Potter like ages ago. It's just it pisses me off. I don't have. I'm I'm no expert, but I don't have a problem with Chris Wilder. Long term, the job he did with Sheffield United mm. was really good. It went wrong this season, but you know it, that happens often with managers who've been at clubs for a long time. And they won a lot of games mm. by one goal last season, and they lost a lot of games by one goal this season. It's fine margins, but overall, I think the job he did at Sheffield United was pretty amazing. He could be a I don't know if he's the sort of manager that you bring in at the end of the season to sort things out or is if he's better suited to being the kind of manager who you rebuild with. Yeah, I think I'd say the latter. Than, yeah. But he's worked in basket case clubs before. Like he was Northampton manager when the players weren't getting paid their wages. So we probably mm. look semi-stable compared to that. Okay, well... Um, We've sort of like covered Brighton. I don't know if there's anything specific. Oh, we should, before we have a quick break, while we're on Brighton, we should mention that Isaac Hayden got injured and is now out for the rest of the season. It did mean that one bright uh, spark about that is that um, it means we'll hopefully get to see a lot more of Jeff Hendrick this year. But, um, I think we've defended Jeff Hendrick a few times on this podcast, but that his recent performances look like the performances of a man playing, being constantly booed by the crowd, but there's no crowd there. It's, it's bizarre. He just doesn't look like a footballer. Hopefully, surely we'll see one of the long staffs now, but it's, it's a shame because Hayden, if he was being played in his actual position would be really important for us in the upcoming games. We've decided John Joe, Hel- John Joe Shelby is a world-class, undroppable, deep-lying midfielder who's like first name on the team sheet. It's, it's another problem that seems easily fixable from the outside that just doesn't even get attempted. Yeah. Well, yeah. But the other good thing as well is that at least we'll be back. We've got plenty of time to get everyone back on the training pitch and work on getting them familiar with this new formation. <laughs> Except we haven't. That would be nice. Six <laughs> of the next nine days are. Six. I mean, That's I can't think of another club. I, I can't think of another club that in this situation would give the players less time on the training pitch. It just doesn't. Like, if things aren't going right on the pitch, work harder on the training ground to get them right on the pitch. Don't well, just I was thinking. Well, I, I, was, I was reading that and did think that seemed pretty odd. And then I was thinking, well, you know, maybe it's kind of like, well, when most of the squad are away on internationals, then blah, 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 blah. And then I had a look and it's like, we've actually only got five players who are internationals. Yeah. Squad. Well, maybe the training ground's haunted. <laughs> maybe that's what's going on. That's probably it. Maybe that's it. Uh, yeah, it does seem odd, but... Um, We'll talk, I'm sure, a lot more about that and everything else. Uh, and uh, we'll go to some of your responses on social media uh, after the break. But in the meantime, have a lovely break, guys. Cheers. Thanks.
If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hello, welcome back. Uh, good break, guys. Yeah, very good. We've chatted, mm. basically... Just to let the na- a listener in on a little secret, during that gate, that break, we've had about 40 minutes of chat. It's, we should have recorded it all. It was quite high-quality chat. None of it about football. We ended up, we were talking about Lilt at one stage, <laughs> trying to work out when the last time we'd each had a can of Lilt was. I don't, I don't remember the last time I saw a can of Lilt. So text in, text in, give us a call, <laughs> let us know, let us know. If you've had a can of lilt, then do dial us up. Let us know. We'll put you on the air. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, we have to go back to talking about football. Uh, should I just go straight in on uh, social media and then um, we'll see what uh, conversations that... Yeah. Yeah. Um, One-up gaming says, well, after that game, I'd hope Bruce will be looking for a new job. Total disgrace. Well, as yet, no. John M says, Bruce is, I'm reading this all completely blind. So here we go. John M says, Bruce is famous for having a cabbage thrown at him as Villa, Villa boss. He's famous for other things as well, I know. If you could, which type of vegetable would you throw at which former Newcastle United manager? And why? It's the sort of question I should have given you time to prepare at. But if you've got something, guys, come on. Come on, Paul, you're a professional comedy writer. Say something hilarious. Uh, I would throw a Swede <laughs> at any of our recent managers to put them in an anti-Swede stance and stop them signing Emil Kraft <laughs> or, and, or Andreas Anderson. <laughs> there. That was it. That makes that yeah. That's something. That was an answer. Okay. And um, Teague or Teague or whatever, I think it's Teague, says, what would it take to sack Steve Bruce after that horrid loss and the controversial six-day break? It's hard to imagine how many more bad decisions he has to make. I mean, you've got a theory on this, Dave, right? That we have to... Yeah. That, through, I, think. I, th- I think we'd have to be in the bottom three for... Um, one or two, probably just the one now. How few games we've got left? I think we'd have to like fall into the bottom three, stay in there the next uh, round of fixtures, and if if we're not back out, then then he might get the boot, which is roughly what happened. With it's like Steve a lifeguard. Is it like a lifeguard watching someone in trouble in the water and saying? No, I'm not going in until they've been underwater for 60 seconds. <laughs> until there's no <laughs> bubbles coming up. That's when I go in. <laughs> no, no, give them a chance. Give them a ch- This is a learning <laughs> opportunity. 
<laughs> it is shit. I, I, the, the only other thing I can think is like it'll mirror Steve McLaren's where he'll give he'll be given like a game or two after the international break, and if he hasn't dug us out of the hole in those games, he'll get the boot. But it, it, to be honest, now it all really depends on Fulham. If Fulham can make up the two points they are behind us in the next game or so, then yeah, Bruce will get the the boot. But if we're if they can't do it in the next couple of games, then I mean they're not going to change the manager with like five games to go. They're just but is that no ironically, point. if if this theory of yours is correct, does that mean that ironically at the moment we're rooting for Fulham to get some good results so that we can have our managers <laughs> that we're looking for? Uh, like, it's shades of the John Carver reign where they were clearly willing to let it go till the end of the season and they gambled on that. And just got away with it by us beating West Ham. Yeah, and I think I, I, I think they'll just think if we're within three points of Fulham or two points of Fulham, play them on the last day. Hmm. I still think they'd probably do it. The well, thing is, got now got we, we have just been through what was our what I consider to be uh, our period of winnable games where we were going to collect the points that were ultimately going to make us safe. We've just had Wolves, West Brom, Villa and Brighton. Mm. That's been our last four fixtures. And from that, we've had three points, which is the equivalent of one victory from four, you know, the equivalent points wise. Yeah. But now our next, our next set of games is Spurs Burnley, which, you know, traditionally you'd say is a winnable game. Burnley Spurs away. at the moment, you would say, sure. could, go mean, one, could go either extreme. Recent history suggests that we are favourites to, to lose each of these, or at least the least likely to win each of these fixtures. But we've got Spurs, Burnley, West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, Man City before we've got Sheffield United and yeah. Fulham. So, I think I mean, the only the only the only fixtures from that list that I would regardless of our performance kind of write off are the Liverpool, Leicester and Man City games. I think those are the only three where I look at and think doesn't matter how we play, I can't see it's getting anything from those three games. The rest of them, it kind of depends on our form and who, which players are fit and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, um, we have drawn the moment. It's so hard to imagine us winning a game. Yeah, yeah. But I think the problem is everyone can see that it is broken now. Nobody's playing for the manager, and this we've reached the point where you have to sack a manager. But you can tell the club are just optimistically thinking. As soon as our best players come back, we've weathered the storm. We'll pick up enough points. I don't think they realise at the club how perilous our position is. No, because they they must be factoring in. They must realise they 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 may well be thinking that we're more likely to stay up and go down, which I think we'd all agree at this stage is probably incorrect. But they, Mm. they they must be pretty aware that when I mean that defies all I know it's Mike Ashley but surely they must know that we have a big old chance of going down 
but we know he likes a gamble. Well, that's it. I think that if it were if it were any other owner, then Bruce would have been fired certainly after the Brighton game. Any other owner. I think, as Paul says, they'll look at the table, see that we're two points clear of Fulham, have got a game in hand, and we face Fulham and Sheffield as the final two fixtures. So if we can get to those two fixtures just needing a point or one win, then that will be fine. We should be all right, which is wrong-headed. We're going to need more than that, I think. Yeah, I think the other problem as well, you've got Lee Charnley kind of making a lot of those decisions and he's the one who's consistently gambling what little reputation he has on these managers who everyone else can see has passed it like he did with McLaren and he has done with yeah. Bruce that so he's too invested in needing Bruce to work out to justify his job yeah now I it's think what I've... is it called it's what's it called the the sunk loss fallacy what's it called the there's a there's sure. a thing oh, what is it called? There's a theory where the fo- what is it? Sunk fallacy. False prophecy. Sunk cost fallacy, right? <laughs> so you might say about something like HS2, right? When people say, Oh, we need to cancel H- HS2, and then they'll say, Oh, we- but we've already spent 40 billion quid on it. But you don't mm-hmm. on throwing money after something once. You don't throw throwing good money after bad. Mm. It's like fallacy, guys. It's like that car. It's like that car I had where I spent an absolute fortune just fixing this little thing and that little thing, and I was like, "Well, I'm not going to sell it because I've spent so much money on it," which is exactly. stupid because I ended up getting nine hundred quid for it. So. Which weirdly is, is also, also yes. a lot like Stephen Carr at Newcastle. <laughs> it's like Joe Linton. Joe Linton's yeah. a sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, sunk sunk cost fallacy. Fallacy. There we go. That's the title. All right. Yeah. Paul M. Paul M. says split strikers, false nines. What new way can the Newcastle coaching staff come up with to make us more impotent? Hidden attackers, invisible forwards, maybe some sort of <laughs> camouflage. It's a good. I think a reverse Christmas tree. Yes, I'd like start. to see us go back to some nineteenth-century formation. Just like goalkeeper at the back, two, and then we spiral out away from the goal. So we've got two strikers, but they don't leave either corner flag for the entirety <laughs> of the game. And one one thing that was ironic is that um, Brighton showed how the split striker system should work with Welbeck and Mope and. Um, driving off into the towards the corners and Trossard having like free reign and our defenders just didn't know how to pick them up. And then their wing backs were like underlapping so that there was cover in the centre as well. So like tactically Potter was all over Bruce and it's the same way they played against us the beginning of the season. It was the same as last season. And after each one, after each loss, Bruce has said, oh, they effective, like, a paraphrasing, but, like, their tactics really surprised me. How can they surprise you when it's the same fucking tactic three times in a row? What if, you know how Shelby likes to have a, a girl from the halfway line just mm-hmm. to get the keeper off his line? What if that just becomes our only strategy? If we just do that, we just have Shelby doing that 30 times a game, get, like, 20 shots on target, 
It looks good. It looks good in the paper. Wow. Newcastle had a lot. Newcastle were unlucky. They had 20 shots on target. We just not that out, that but, we, but we don't have a single player across the halfway line. It's just I mean, that. that's, that's not I'm, that far from what we're actually uh, doing every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Jordi Ash says, I have two questions. Hope that's all right, lads. Well, we'll see. I'm reading them now for the first time. <laughs> what are the questions, Jordi? Here we go. So, Brucey has awarded the players with six days off from nine days available until we lose to Spurs. What's he thinking? And the only sort of it does seem mad, doesn't it? That if, if you play devil's advocate, the Russian now would be everything is so toxic and so shit. Maybe we just we we just need to get away. We just need a holiday. We just need to like. I think as well the amount of games that have been played this season because of COVID. I could understand a rest of some kind because of that but we've been we've not had two games in a week for ages have we we've no. actually had such an advantage over other teams and and he said he said things like it was on on advice from the medical team and sports science department and things like that well I, i'm not buying it because like paul says you don't have to be you don't have to have them like doing drills on the training ground putting their um their you know, muscles and ligaments under any more duress. But you could certainly have them poring over the tactics, looking at videos of what they've done right, what they've done wrong, looking at videos of their their opponents. You could have sports psychologists trying to like help them with their confidence issue. You could have you could have a you know a PE teacher trying to teach Joe Linton how to play football. Like there are things that you could do in the break. Yeah. I honestly think Steve Bruce is saying is giving them a, a day off because he's like that fucking substitute teacher who wants to be your mate unless you get away with murder. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, the devil's advocate would be, that you know, maybe they just need some time apart. We were on a break. Okay. Uh, maybe Ash- as well, things on. do seem to get worse the, the more we train. <laughs> <laughs> the longer the season goes on so maybe maybe we'll discover a new thing where you go into games blind and because you don't know what the tactic or the plan is the opponents can't possibly know I do wonder whether we should we've just got so caught into it do you mean you know when um there was there was a narrative earlier on in the season where everyone was saying that Bruce just doesn't even do tactics like mm. has no tactics it feels like now he's maybe like overreacted to that. Now it's like all tactics. It's like I've got, I've got this really cool system from the continent with split, split strikers or whatever. He's got like uber hipster cool tactics. Well, he so actually went on holiday to America when you were at school and came back. Right, look what I've got that you've not heard of: Jolly Rancher Candy. I've got split <laughs> strikers. So he's just trying to. He's just trying to prove. He's like. He's doubling down. We not doubling down. He's trying. He's like overcompensating. Yeah. Trying to become this tactical genius, but doesn't actually have the nerve to be able to do it. And what he needs to go back to is his his core in his soul and just play four four two. Put um, big man, big lad, big lad, and little lad up front, which we happen to fucking have right now. A couple of wingers, which we happen to have right now. A couple of wingers. 
a, a dirty midfielder and a slightly less dirty midfielder in the centre, <laughs> and 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 just play it like football in its purest, most English early nineties form, and which is when Steve Bruce was the captain of a, a league winning side. And you know, maybe we'd battle and get some points with that. But, I know. mean, it works well enough for Burnley and Sean Dyche. Sure. Jordi like Asher also says he also says also rumors that some players want him gone, some want him to stay. Who do you see being in each camp? I reckon Jeff Hendrick wants him to stay. Yeah, John yeah. Joe Shelby as well. <laughs> Joe Linton, John Joe Shelby, Jeff Hendrick. Um That'll be about it, lads. I think Richie wants him gone. Emil Kraft, of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richie clearly, one would assume, that wants him gone. Both Longstaffs. Uh, Mm. The Longstaffs, certainly. Carol and Gail. Carol and Gail, you would have thought. I mean, we're just picking the players who are playing. Well, I'd I'd also say Almiron, St. Maximum, um, yeah. Wilson would rather a different manager because they might get on the ball a bit more and I'd say that Dubravka and Darlow would prefer a different manager because they wouldn't be called into action as much I, don't know. I would imagine maybe Duck, who knows, it's total speculation maybe Darlow appreciates all the games he's had this Well season. I think Darlow would have possibly wanted him to stay had it not been for Bruce telling the papers before him, or for the news getting out to the papers before him that he was yeah. dropped. Okay. Robert Elliott, not our, um, what, keep it's, Robert, it's Robert Elliott still on our books. He's gone <laughs> no, he's not. He's, he's at Watford, isn't he? I think. Okay. Robert Elliott says, if you came home unexpected, I'm reading this sentence for the first time. Here we go. If you came home unexpectedly early and you found ASM, in Alan St. Maximin, lounging on your sofa in your dressing gown, watching telly, say Inspector Montalbano on iPlayer. Would you be delighted or would you explode into an incandescent rage? Would the answer be different if it was Bruce? It's such a specific hypothetical. Um, Robert, I'm only allowed to this happened. I can only be. Has this happened to you, Robert? I've, I can, I've already got. Uh, How was the marriage, Robert? I can Robert? either be delighted at Alan Seth Maximum being on my couch, couch, or I can explode into an incandescent rage. Can I not just be really, really terrified and confused? Yeah. <laughs> if it was Bruce, though, I think I'd just look at the situation and be like, the guy's under a lot of pressure. He's snapped. <laughs> Get my wife and kid out of the house. Take the dog. I think, get them in I the think car. Both, I think the both of them, I would be closer to delighted than rage. I'm trying to give an honest answer here. Not a man who's often prone to rage, particularly in the presence of men who could quite clearly beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd just be quite... I, I think I'd ultimately be just quite excited for the anecdote. <laughs> I think I'd want to know how they got in as well. I'd love to know how they got in. I mean, yeah. So maximum, I'd be over the moon to see him in there. I'd be oh delighted. I'd have to buy a dressing gown, but I'd be absolutely over the moon to see him. You'd ultimately be like terrified. But how the fuck has this happened? I wouldn't. I wouldn't question it. I'd just enjoy them. I'd live in the now. I'd just be in that moment, present with Alan to maximum. Him lounging on the te- on, on the sofa watching the telly. I'd go and fix him a nice drink. 
Bruce, I'd kick him out. I think of all our ex-players, the one I could imagine it having the most chance of ha- actually happening as a situation <laughs> with would be Tino Espria. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you... I was going to say Gaza. Yeah, like that Gaza. There's like, I think that has happened to me with. Yeah, I think Gaza. There's about a one in two hundred chance of it actually (laughs) happening. Did you see the um, the uh, anecdote that somebody told on on Twitter about? Oh, is this the Frank Worthington one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, long. uh, I'm paraphrasing it because I'll get it wrong. But essentially, um, this guy said that he was uh, like a mascot for Newcastle United. And he was there, uh, I think it was a training ground thing, and he was invited to be there. And Frank Worthington, who was, uh, for those who don't know, was uh, an, old, an old footballer. He was really, really um, gifted technically. Um, he was a, a, a guest of Terry, McDo- Terry McDermott. And as all the players are, are filing out, like all the ones who know who Frank Worthington are are all like, oh, shaking his hand and oh, it's really, you know, it's great to see you and all the rest of it. And then Tino appears and Terry might like beckons him over. And as he's coming towards him, Tino's looking at him like, who's this? Like, it must be like some kind of like corporate guest or something. And Terry Mack goes, Tino, Tino, legend, legend. And he's pointing at Frank Worthington. And, and Tino, like, confused, shakes his head and goes, no, no, tonight, Julie's, Julie's, which is a club in Newcastle. <laughs> 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 I love that anecdote. I, I can't remember who who posted it, but I'll retweet it because it's that's that's top. That's top. Great stuff. All right, um, got one more. Uh, Andy Sheldon says, "Ah, oh, FCB, aka fucking cocky bastard, aka um, Mike Ashley and Cabbage Head, actually fulfilling a relegation plan as it's apparently a much easier process to sell and buy a football club." outside of the prayer. Then the new owners roll in with loads of resources, bring Netflix in and record a third promotion. I mean, that makes no sense, obviously, for Mike Ashton because he doesn't want to sell it for a lot less money. But it does seem, if that was what they wanted to do, they're doing everything to make it happen. It is Mm -hmm. astonishing. I mean, I I spent a lot of this season on the Newcastle Night defending Steve Bruce never never as a supporter of Steve Bruce I just always thought that the attacks were over the top and sort of hysterical but I'm now you know a zealot I'm now a fully paid subscriber to the um the Bruce Out Brigade it is astonishing how this season has gone I think I think honestly he's gonna Whatever happens with this season and whether he stays or goes, he will go down as one of Newcastle's worst um, yeah. managers. Um, just purely in the, in the you know, forget about personality clashes or whatever. It, statistically, he's awful. Like, games won, games lost, he's terrible. If their plan is to get relegated by... God, they've got the right man to do it. And also him doing things like giving six days off, um, playing players out of position, playing bizarre formations, not picking players who are in form and picking players who've never been close to being in form. Like, if I didn't think this kind of conspiracy was like ludicrous, there's a lot of evidence to support it. 
it's a, a really, it's a really appealing theory because it implies yeah. a level of control and planning at the club. <laughs> but I think like all conspiracy theories, it's there to make a really chaotic, incompetent situation seem more deliberate. Well, this is the thing. That, well, that's, it, it, you're right. That's the thing with all conspiracy theories, aren't they? They, t- they attempt to explain why the world is chaos. Hmm. But, you know, the world deep, is yeah. chaos, particularly as you, you support Newcastle United football. Yeah. Um, I, think, I, think I mean, that should be on a... our badge, the world is chaos. <laughs> <laughs> we, should be, we should remind ourselves that for all uh, how terrible Steve Bruce is and um, what a low point this may well be, um, uh, it, it's, things have been bad for a long time. And here's a little stat to... Reminders of that. We have not had a clean sheet away. We have not had a clean sheet in two consecutive away games since December 2013. That was the last time we kept a clean sheet. That's such an obscure stat. I don't know if that's impressive or not. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not sure of the... I know, I know what you're trying to get across that we've been bad for ages, but there's there's levels to appalling, and like the the season that we went down under, like Kinnear and Hutton and Keegan and Shearer and all the rest of it. That was a that was a clusterfuck of a season. It almost like it made sense that we went down because there was so much change and so many different approaches and all the rest of it. The season that we went down with McLaren was just mismanagement. This season is worse than that, in my opinion, because because I think like from where we start, like because McLaren took over from Carver, so he was he was kind of starting from like um, like a, a a lower starting position. Whereas where Bruce has taken us in the two seasons that he's been in control, we've gone from what could have been just a comfortable mid-table, like 13th, 14th, maybe a danger at relegation at some point in the season, but then get nicely safe to where we are now where we fucking deserve relegation. The way that we've played throughout the season, we deserve it. And I think the season under McLaren as well, we won a game like 6-1, didn't we, against Norwich? we we actually played occasionally good football. Yeah, and we had some good players like Sissoko and Vinaldum and so on and so forth. But this season, like it, it would be like in that season if Vinaldum had been dropped and we'd been playing Gufran instead, or you know, something like that. Because mm. um, we're not playing Murphy when he looks competent and, and quality, and we're playing Jeff Hendrick even though he's he looks. Just like he's stealing a little. We started Joe Linton. I think Joe Linton's are has got the most starts for us. God, and I would insane. say Jeff Hendricks for me. I don't know if you've heard the term, but it seems like a sunk cost fallacy. I've not heard the term. Is that yeah? Yeah, that seems to me like a sunk cost fallacy. Didn't didn't, didn't we get Jeff Hendrick for nothing? Yes, <laughs> still a sunk cost, still a sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, our we can have game. a laugh. No, oh, our next game is against uh, Spurs. It's not for a while. I don't know if we'll do a podcast before then. Should we bother predicting it? I think let's have a 
I mean, who the knows? Spurs Spurs seem, in their own way, a bit like a broken club, as all Mourinho clubs towards the end start to. But they've Mm. still got Gareth Bale, Harry Kane and Son. Well, Son's supposed to be injured for for it, and Lamella will be suspended, although I don't know how much of an impact Lamella would have. But like you say, they've still got Harry Kane. Fingers crossed he gets injured with England. And Gareth Bale, fingers crossed he gets injured with Belgium um, with Wales. Um, so, nah, two no loss. I think Spurs are quite a good example of like how sort of mental it is being a football fan, because for years we would always finish above Spurs, right, mm-hmm. for a long, long time in the Premier League, and then that changed, and now. I would say we're in completely different positions. And if you looked at it from the outside, you'd see it differently. But I would say that Spurs fans at the moment are probably almost as much depressed as we are. Just because of the... Yes, they win more games. And yes, they've got some of the best players in Europe, or at least a couple of them. They're, you know... But I think not that long ago, they had one of the world's best strikers, one of the world's best, most progressive managers, and were in the Champions League final. I think it's just that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not not saying that they're wrong to be depressed. I'm just saying that that's the thing about football, isn't it? It's the the hope. You know, there there are fans of League Two sides right now who are much, much happier with their club than they are, than, than Newcastle fans are. It's all about about where your expectations are and where you think you should be and not just as in terms of the size of your club. It's about like your recent history, right? So it's it's all about Spurs are really because they can see that they are fucking up what has been a good situation and they're gonna come and it looks like they're gonna come away from a period with where they should have won trophies with no trophies. So well, they're really is, depressed at that, whereas we're really depressed at. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? yeah. It's meeting. It's 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 the same for every club. It's it's are is the the club, the players, the the coaches, the everything else. Are they doing as much as possible to better the club to 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 allow it to meet its potential, whatever its potential is? Like Ultraman fans will be fairly happy with their owner because he's trying to do stuff with the ground and he's trying to improve it and they are trying to do well in the league so they'll be happy but Sunderland fans will be happy with theirs because they're going for promotion and they're, they're trying to get back to the championship the reason that Spurs are unhappy Arsenal are unhappy Manu are unhappy um, fucking Everton will be unhappy Crystal Palace will be unhappy is because they can see that they've got in place all the parts that should make their team be performing at a higher level than they currently are. And, you know, same's true for us. Like, we have everything in place that we should be able to finish comfortably mid-table, maybe have a run at a, at a, at a cup. I think, Spurs, we... I think Spurs are kind of like us in a way, because they've gone from having, I mean, Pochettino and Benitez are very different types of managers. Mm. They're both managers who had a, a plan of how they wanted to play, how they wanted the club to progress, the sort of signings they wanted to build that. And they had a sort of year-on-year plan. And they've been replaced with different types of dinosaur 
who've just got one objective. It's not about playing style. For Mourinho, Levy's just said, you win a lot of cups. Come in, win as a cup. We just need a trophy. Bruce has come mm-hmm. in, told, you can keep teams up. Don't get as relegated. That's your... So it's just there's no... There's not a lot to get excited about there. You're just rolling the dice season by season rather than thinking, here's where we're trying to get to. And this is, you can contextualize defeats when that's going on by being like, that's a little bump on the road, but we know where we're meant to be going. Whereas at the minute, you don't get that with either club, I would say. The best best comparison is us and Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> we're four points, like four points apart. But if you were watching that game on the weekend, there, you wouldn't have believed that at the time there was only one point uh, between the two sides. We look streets apart and they're going somewhere. Even if they've been relegated this season, which might still happen, you never know. If they were to be relegated, they're going to stick with Potter. That was said at the very beginning of the season. Mm. When they got into trouble, they're sticking with Potter because they're building towards something and they've got a long-term plan and they trust the manager and the, the staff that they've employed to deliver on that. And their their ambitions aren't top six. They're not like you know, getting ahead of themselves. It's just mid-table Premier League have a run at the cops. There's probably an Everton podcast saying the same about us right now as well. <laughs> there will come a but there will come a moment with Brighton and you know I I live for the day when it happens to us, but there will come a moment with them if they ever do achieve table safety regularly, when the Brighton fans will start complaining about that. Because that's what happens. But at, that, yeah. but at that point, it's if if because um, if they get to mid table and they're there and it's solid and they're there for a few seasons, as long as you're trying to make progress in some shape with yeah. the football club, the fans will accept it. So, say for example, Burnley, they were sitting in mid table and they were shit, but it was effective. Then the fans were like, "All right, we've had like four seasons of this." Can we try to play better football? Can we try and attract better players? You know, more attractive players. So there is like there is always going to be a demand from the, the fans to be better, but you can decide what better looks like. Sure. I mean, yeah. Brighton are looking to be the next Bournemouth for a while, aren't they? Yeah. And Leicester are looking to replace Spurs or Arsenal in that top group. And West Ham, mm. they're having a great season this one. But if they've got anything about them, next season it's going to be about making sure they finish between 12th and 8th. Just make sure we're in there, maybe have a run at the cops. It's, yeah, I'd it's say Brighton are aiming to be the next Leicester in a weird way. Mm, just, okay. just, yeah. We're aiming to be the next Sunderland. So, let's <laughs> <do that. laughs> um, so uh, we'll finish up. Uh, thank you very much, Dave Watson. Are we doing, sorry, before that, are we doing Spurs predictions? Uh, yes, um, six nil Spurs. Wouldn't be two nil Spurs. Paul, three, three nil Spurs. Fantastic. All right. Thank you very much, Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Doolan. Thank you so much. Thank you to you, the Newcastle Natter listener, and thank you to Graham Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.